See you later, alligator. After a while, crocodile. It's Schranners! I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. And you're listening to Schmanners. It's extraordinary etiquette. For ordinary occasions. Hello, my dove. Hello, dear. How are you? You know, going. We're yeah. all, we all just keep on trucking. For the time being, both of our children are asleep for nap. Which means <laughs> it's time for us to record a podcast. Let's see how long this lasts. Yeah. Mm. Well, It's a thing. Man. Yeah. You know, and yesterday, last night, there was like tornado warnings here in Cincinnati. And like now in our neighborhood, like whole trees were uprooted last night. And a trampoline. A trampoline was blown like two blocks into a tree. Into a tree. This is not funny, but it is a lot. A lot. (laughs) Yeah. It's not funny so much as it's just so much so. That you kind of have to process it by laughing, right? Chekhov. Like, uh, Chekhov said, if we don't laugh, we'll cry. Well, so. Chekhov said a lot of things. Well, that's true. Here's my gun. Remember this. Okay. Yes. He also said, really no, wait a second. Did one of his, I, I think one of his characters said that. That's the thing, right? Well, the Chekhov's gun, I think, comes from the seagull, right? Where it's just like, yes. oh, did I mention? I just got this gun. Remember that. If they mention it, it's going to come back. That's the idea. The right. But the, if, if we don't, well... Is if we don't laugh, we'll cry. Is that in Uncle Vanya? I think it's probably Uncle Vanya. Oh, we both did it then. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) He didn't say either of those things. His characters did. This is not germane to this topic, but it is one of my pet peeves when people like credit like quotes of characters to the writer. Right. Where it's just like Shakespeare didn't say to be or not to be, right? A character he wrote who had some mental stuff going on, wrote that. That wasn't like Shakespeare, like, hey, everybody, just wanted you to know I feel this way. And I know that you could say, like, well, but the writer wrote this really beautiful line. Absolutely. But the character said it. And it's not important. Oh, it's not important. That's just my own little pet peeve. Let's, let's walk that tangent back. Okay, so this week we're talking about pet peeves. No. No. <laughs> No. <laughs> this week, we're going to talk about Steve Irwin. Now, this is interesting because when you told me you and Alex had had, had this idea. My- it was before. We had this idea before the Tiger King yes. happened on Netflix, by the way. But when you told me this, my first thought was like, oh, what what is he like an advocate person? And then you guys made the, the very fair point that he has become this cultural figure, right? Who, exactly. Who impacted... The the zeitgeist, the, yeah. the, the, in such a way, much like when we talked about, uh, like Bob Ross, right? Exactly. Where it's like, yeah, you know what? He might not have directly done it, but it it, it became synonymous, right? With like, right, with the way that uh, nature shows are now filmed mm-hmm. and thought about, and the way that people think about. Uh, conservation, right. and just his kind of general demeanor, I think, his kind of boyish excitement. Yes. Um, being like 
the way that people relate to animals in the world. Right. And I mean, it, I think this that goes for not just uh, Steve Orrin. I think there are figures like that. Uh, your, your Jacques Cousteau's, your, uh, Jack Hanna's, your, mm-hmm. for me personally, and I think that this might be generational, but, uh, Jeff Corwin. And the uh, Kratt brothers. The Kratt brothers. But this idea of like, here are these beautiful creatures who can be scary. Mm-hmm. And also that you may want to like hug, right? But they are both, <laughs> they like, here are both sides of this, right? Where yes, this is a beautiful creature, leave it alone. Right. Or this is a one of, uh, scary creature, but it's not trying to hurt you. One of Steve's catchphrases was like, do not do this at home. Yeah. Right. Okay. So let's talk. Tell me about a young Steve or a young Australian boy. So most people know him as like the TV personality. The crocodile hunter. Exactly. The crocodile hunter, which ran on Animal Planet from 1996 to 2004. Um, But he was heavily involved in animal welfare and uh, rehabilitation and conservation and all this kind of stuff from birth, basically. I mean, not literally, though. Well, he is a baby. It was not like, leave me in the most alone. He was born in Australia to wildlife enthusiasts. Oh, okay. So kind of He came as by a baby. honest, is what you're saying. He did. Yeah. He had a deep love of animals uh, from the very beginning. And he is said to have caught his first snake at four years old and his first venomous snake at six, uh, which was That's- a python that he named Fred. That's way more believable than like some kind of like Pecos Bill thing of like at six months he rode a rattler. <laughs> um, it said he was often late to school because he would convince his mother to pull over on the side of the road to rescue lizards and snakes and anything that was that was in the road. Now that's completely believable, and I I believe that that is true and factual, but. Doesn't that also sound like the kind of thing that you say about somebody once they have, like, reached the, like, pinnacle of their career? It's, I think Eddie Izzard had a joke where it was like, you know, that scene where it's just like, you see John Lennon as a young boy, like, standing in front of, like, a pawn shop window looking at a guitar. guitar, yeah. And you're like, and you as the audience are like, I get it. I know what's going to happen because it's, yeah. Sure. But factually... Okay. Uh, when he was eight years old, he and his two sisters all moved to, and his parents moved to Queensland. Oh, thank God. <laughs> to open up the Beerwa Reptile and Fauna Park. Um, and so by nine, he was already helping his dad with the animal kind of maintenance, including catching crocodiles. It's, and it's, listen, folks, it's easier than you think. Uh, you just message them on some kind of social media yeah. and you pretend to be another crocodile and then they come meet you and boom, you got, nope, sorry, that's catfishing. That's catfishing. That's catfishing. Um, crocodiles you know what you are call kind of catching a catfish, what it's really called? Noodling. Uh huh. Do you know what you do? What? You like stick your arm down like a catfish hole in the mud or whatever and wait for them to kind of gum on your arm and then you pull them out. That sounds like one way to catch a catfish. Well, I'm sure there are other ways. Yes. There's more than one way to catch a catfish. That's what I always say. So crocodiles. She laughed. You couldn't, it probably didn't play to the microphone, but she laughed at that. Uh, I sighed. Oh, you I laughed chuckled. Side. You chuckled. I saw your body shake a little bit with less. So you're doing it now and you're shaking your head, but you're smiling, but you're smiling. And then I've got her. Okay. Generally, crocodiles are solitary creatures and they like it that way. Yeah. 
Um, but if they become accustomed to people uh, who maybe are fishing or swimming where they live, uh, they become labeled as, quote, problem crocodiles, which is strange to me because it's like, here, I'm going to come into your house and do my thing. And now you're here. So I you, you got to get out. This is mine now. Yes, it's almost like the way we treat animals is not great. It's almost like we like to impede into their homes mm-hmm. and then treat them like they're the bad guy. I've just recently, as long as we're talking about animal conservation, I've noticed as we've been watching more like Disney movies with BB, Disney, listen, in a lot of ways, love Disney Studios, but they have a strong anti-wolf bias. They do. Like, they make wolves, the bad guys, in, like, Beauty and the Beast and Frozen and, like, all these movies. And they just trying to eat. Right? And, like, wolves are, were, so, like, so overhunted by human beings because there was, like, oh, they'll come in and it's like, hey, dude, you're all up in their business. Exactly. And wolves are an apex predator that keep the other animals that, like, destroy things, like deer. Right. Keep them under control. So, like, don't even. I'm saying. Wolves, they're mostly, they're more afraid of you than you are of them. At least they were when people were overhunting them to almost extinction. I'm saying leave the wolves alone, Disney. Make make more. Hey, Disney, what if people are the monsters? Okay, okay go on. You are you're driving down all the tangents this morning, this afternoon, wherever we are. I know barely anything about Steve Irwin. <laughs> I have very little to contribute beside tangents. <laughs> all right. So uh Steve would accompany his dad and round up these quote problem crocodiles um so that they could be re-released at the wildlife park. Cool. Here comes another one of those uh, John Lennon guitar uh-huh. moments. Yes. Uh, the the legend is uh-huh. that as a nine-year-old, he would jump on the alligator's back and wrestle them back to the, the boat that he and his dad were in. Um, and then baby Steve and his dad would take these crocodiles away, right? Well, okay. You know, uh, here's the thing. Well, but he, No, no, no. Here's the it. thing. I believe it. Alex so. Googled it. And a small crocodile is probably still close to 500 pounds. And a big one can get up to 2,200 pounds. So your average nine-year-old boy weighs about 60 pounds. And the odds that a 60-pound-year-old nine-year-old, a 60-pound nine-year-old boy uh-huh. could wrestle a 500-pound alligator. Listen, you know, judo it. is about using your opponent's weight against them. No, here's the here's what I do believe with help, maybe. Okay. Because like I, I can't remember if it's alligators or crocodiles or both. I'm gonna go with both for now. Um and listen, people, you're gonna be so eager to tweet at us about corrections <laughs> about alligators. This isn't an episode about crocodiles or alligators, this is about Steve Irwin. Anywho, that a lot of their muscle in biting comes in the chomp. And they're actually fairly weak as far as opening their jaws back up. That is what I've been told. Yeah, so you can, like, hold their jaws shut with your bare hands. Yes. Okay. Um, this fascination and passion for reptiles in particular... And wrestling them. ...is really what Steve Irwin is famous for, right? Um, so in the 80s, before he had started his TV show, he spent months living in the remote areas of 
the Australian outback. Thank you. Uh, catching. Thank you for not doing an accent. I saw in your eyes that you wanted to do it. Do you want me to do it? Uh, yeah, you know, now that I mentioned it. The Australian outback. The Australian outback. Now say no rules, just right. No rules, just right. No, it no, got that was, that was Cockney. It, it got a little, little Cockney. A little they're British very, they're very close. Hello, hello. What's all these crocodiles in? <laughs> they're very close in my mouth. Oh, Bob's your uncle. Alligators and whatnot. Apples and pears. <laughs> oh no! I think I nailed it. Uh, Throw you, another shrimp on the barbie. You nailed something. Okay. Okay, so he would bloom an onion. Okay. <laughs> okay Are done. you done? I'm done now. Bloom an onion is actually Cockney rhyming slang. But I won't tell you what for, because it's very explicit. How about now? Are you done now? Yes, now I'm done. Okay. They, uh, He and his dog, a staffy bull terrier named Suey, would stalk the waters for problem crocs to capture them. And this is where he perfected his crocodile capture and management techniques, the ones that you were talking about, right? Kind of like jump on their back and hold their jaw shut yes. type deal that's now like the world standard. Um, and he was still working at uh, the his parents' reptile and fauna park, caring for wildlife and maintaining the grounds. And this is where he first got his start with his uh his quote film appearances through their home movies and kind of like uh you know just like I don't want to say documentary but the documenting material for their park. Yes. So in 1991 he officially took over the parents wildlife park and went Buckwild, trying to improve it and expand it. And, you know, conservation was so close to his heart. Um, I love that description. He went Buckwild with improvements. <laughs> I'm fixing everything. Whoa, slow down, Steve. It sounds no. like something Steve would do, right? Yeah. And that was the same year he, year he met his wife, Terry Raines, um, who coincidentally appeared on the show with him much year, many years later. And instead of a honeymoon, this was like their first like documentary that they went and filmed on, filmed on. Um, and that's how Crocodile Hunter started their honeymoon. They filmed documentary together about wildlife and submitted as a pilot for Crocodile Hunter. That's great. And I, I can't wait to learn more. But first, it's time for thank you notes for our sponsors. We want to write a thank you note to Nextdoor. Listen, staying connected is now more important than ever. Nextdoor is helping by offering a great way to keep in touch with your neighbors and get local information from your community. There are so many ways our neighbors can help us. We just need an easier way to connect with them. Nextdoor is a free app that connects you to your local community, so you can talk to your neighbors and tap into trusted local knowledge right from your phone. Nextdoor is in every neighborhood in the U.S., and neighbors are already working together to build stronger, safer, and happier communities all over the world. So, what are you waiting for? The app is free. Go to nextdoor.com slash schmanners, that's S-H-M-A-N-N-E-R-S, to sign up and see what's happening in your neighborhood. Be sure to use the link from our show to sign up so they know that you support our show. That's nextdoor.com slash schmanners. We also have a special message for 
Chloe and Spencer, and this is from Matt. And Matt says, thank you for being my dear friends. This was sent during the COVID-19 pandemic. I hope after all this is over, the two of you have a fantastic and inspirational choral season with the best choir on the East Coast. Your kindness and love and artistry are so inspirational to me. And I thank you for introducing me to Max Fun and the McElroys. Oh, that was lovely. That was a thank you. Uh, We also have a message for Jess from dot, 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 you know, Uh, and the message is, I extend my deepest regrets for knocking your toothbrush off the counter into the trash and putting it back on the edge of the counter without telling you until it was too late and you used the dirty toothbrush for a while. I thought having this apology in your favorite manners-based podcast might make it hurt less. Stay frosty. Okay, well... I guess that's a brilliant, nice apology, and I hope that Jess can forgive you. Back to the show. Welcome back to Fireside Chat on KMAX. With me in studio to take your calls is the dopest duo on the West Coast, Oliver Wong and Morgan Rhodes. Go ahead, caller. Hey, uh, I'm looking for a music podcast that's insightful and thoughtful, but like also helps me discover artists and albums that I've never heard of. Yeah, man, sounds like you need to listen to Heat Rocks every week. Myself, and I'm Morgan Rhodes, and my co-host here, Oliver Wong, talk to influential guests about a canonical album that has changed their lives. Guests like Moby, Open Mike Eagle, talk about albums by Prince, Joni Mitchell, and so much more. Yo, what's that show called again? Heat Rocks, deep dives into hot records. Every Thursday on Maximum Fun. Okay, so... When we last left off, <laughs> the hunters had become the hunted. No, that didn't no, no, happen. Well, I mean, I guess in the fact that people liked the show. Sure. So it was like they were like hunting for more of them, I guess. But nobody was nobody was hunting Steve Irwin. No. At least not as far as I know. I'll have to look into police records to see if there were any issues. But I don't think anyone hunted Steve Irwin. Um, so one of the things that made the show in particular very riveting to watch was he had this kind of like stuntman attitude about it, oh, yeah. right? When I think of Steve Irwin, the thing I picture is his body posture of like crouching, mm-hmm. like like at any moment he could spring into action, and like that it it, it with. It was always interesting because his attitude was not one of like being afraid of the animal, right? But his poise was like, "I am ready." In case anything happens. Absolutely. His whole brand was about, this is what you're not supposed to do, and let me show you why, yeah. right? And it wasn't it wasn't the same documentary style that we're used to, or even had been used to up to that point, right? Where it was kind of like a point and shoot with like, um, you know, voiceover. Right. And like when I think about like a Nova special, right? I think about beautiful big wide shots and then smaller shots kind of like spliced in with the the voiceover in the background very kind of muted and hushed and things like that that was not his style no i also when i when i picture like um something hosted by like a, a like an animal expert right i picture like the animals in the background right mm-hmm. and they are a safe distance away l- addressing the camera right? right right when i think of steve Irwin, he was like two feet away from whatever he was talking about like see this <laughs> and his style was very catch and release yeah right so he would catch something kind of handle it talk about it talk 
to it, usually calling it like a sweetheart. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and then release it back and run away. Right. I mean, that his thing was crocodiles. But I, I remember specifically watching the Jeff Corwin show where his thing was like snakes. Mm-hmm. And like that stuck with me where he had this like kind of almost question mark shaped like pole that he used to que- to catch snakes. And I think that's the thing that's always most fascinated me. There was a time where I wanted to become uh, a host like this. And listen, it's not too late. If anybody's listening to this and they think Travis is a great energy, he would be great hosting an animal show. You're right. I don't have any expertise whatsoever, but I can learn. Uh, but anyways, I watch this all the time. And the thing that always like struck me was their uh, skill, like their knowledge, but also I'm, I'm going to show you like, these beautiful but terrifying animals that you will never get the chance and you shouldn't right you really should encounter right like if you yeah. see one of the like for example jeff corn it really the, the weirdest lesson that always struck in my mind was when identifying a snake that if you see a snake with red stripes next to uh black stripes it's red to black, friend of Jack. And if you see red stripes next to yellow stripes, it's red to yellow, kill a fellow. And get away from that snake. Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. That's a useful sticks, piece of information. Sticks with you. Absolutely. Um, so here's the thing about Steve. He was never to really cut the show uh, when he got hurt. <laughs> yeah. It was one of those things that it was constantly showing animals, biting him, getting scratches, bleeding all over the place. Um, And although he was never, like, seriously injured, he would always kind of talk through it as if, like, this is something that you never want to do. I have a lot of experience. This really hurts. Especially, uh, he's kind of famous for getting bit by parrots. Oh. Like, that parrots in general didn't like him at all. Maybe he was kind of, like, too boisterous and energetic for them, but he's constantly getting bit by parrots. You know, I've never thought of this before, and perhaps no one ever has, but he's kind of like the Jackie Chan of, like, animal handling shows, where it's like, I'm going to show you me getting hurt. I don't want you to think I'm a superhero, because I don't want to downplay the danger of these animals, or that I am somehow invulnerable, and that's why it's okay for me to be doing this, that it's all about knowledge and safety and precaution, and sometimes accidents still happen. Right. Um, And all of this could kind of come off as a little bit callous or maybe as a as a showman right on tv uh especially when he went on things like jay leno and oprah and and television shows like that yes but everyone was always saying about how he was exactly the same off camera as he was on it was just this general like exuberance about animals about life about conservation and that energy was always the same um he's quoted as saying I laugh when I see myself on the telly. I think I'm kind of a knucklehead, but I suppose people like it. And he went on to say, I can't stop, mate. I wake up in the morning on fire and I just can't do enough. It drives me crazy that I got to go to sleep. Can't I film things at night, too? Oh, <laughs> that, Steve. <laughs> that, makes, that makes perfect sense uh, for someone with, with all of that kind of boundless energy. And I think that that was one of the things that made him so incredible to watch is like sincerity that, and you know, it's something that like very few people have, right? And when we talk about like mm-hmm. Bob Ross or like Mr. Rogers, these kinds of characters where it's like, or people I shouldn't say character. I think of them as characters, right? Because they're so important, but like 
that they weren't trying to be something. Right. They were just kind of being themselves. And they weren't performing. They weren't putting on a show. They were just being themselves. And that kind of sincerity made them so enjoyable to, like, see into their world. It's that thing of, like, when you see someone, you're like, I think I would be friends with that person. But that kind of sincerity also lends itself to ridicule Mm -hmm. and uh, and parody. Oh, yeah. Um, He was attacked by PETA for and accused of exploiting animals for fame. Um, and there were many Australians who didn't like him because they felt that he perpetuated a certain stereotype about Australia and Australians. And Um, he was also just, you talk about parody, like when you think of parody, you know, I'm sure with very little Googling, you could find like SNL sketches and and Simpsons and and South Park episodes, Mad TV, like anything there was like, because he was such a character that like he was just recognizable. Right. And so it's like, everyone did like impressions of him and every, and I would not call them flattering impressions. So I would say most of them were not done in the spirit of like, laughing with someone right but Mm -hmm. i think that it was a level of sincerity that as you said was easily mocked but was also inspiring certainly um and he was never one to turn down appearances he was also in the um the eddie murphy dr doolittle 2 movie basically playing himself um and because of all of this this fame and notoriety he did make a lot of money um but again one of the cool things about Steve was that he didn't want to spend money on things like flashy cars or like vacation homes or or anything like that. He always spent all the money he could to buy real estate for this uh, Australia Zoo, this wild park thing. Um, and he said that. He said, every single cent I make goes straight into conservation. I don't give a rip whose money is in it, I'll use it and I'll spend it on buying land. Um, and I mean, he really did. He he expanded the park, I mean, exponentially, right? Um, he, let's see, I had the, the figures on it. Uh, I, I believe that the park now is over 80 acres. Oh, wow. That's a lot. A lot and a lot, a lot. And I mean, when you think about it, that saves it from um, being turned into like deforested, mm-hmm. right? Uh, saves it from being... Um, Hunted. Hu- yep. Yeah, it's protected land because it's privately owned. Um. We can't we can't talk about Steve without talking about his untimely death. Yes. Um and he was like we said, he was never one to shy away from wildlife. He looked at dangerous crocodiles like they were adorable kittens. Yeah. Um he was doing what he loved doing. He was um uh, he was killed by a stingray off yeah. the coast of Queensland on September 4th, 2006. Um, but he was doing a diving exposition, expedition, um, having it filmed, of course. There is footage of his death that has only been seen by his wife, uh, rightly so. I don't think it should ever be televised. Yes. Um, and here's the thing. It was such a freak accident, right? 
only 17 to 30 accidents like this have been reported by people dying. That's by dying by stingray. That's yeah. not per year. That's ever. If I remember, it was something about where he was stung and like how, like a, a bunch of factors. Exactly. Yeah. There are over 1,500 stingray incidents in the U.S. every year, but nearly all of them end with slight discomfort and nothing close to death. Um, he had actually swam with stingrays several times before. And in he's he's been filmed where they don't want to swim with him and so they just swim away. Yeah. Um I I have to think that something about this stingray got spooked. Yeah. And thought that Steve was a predator. God, you know? It's something. Yeah. Uh not only was Australia devastated by his death, so I mean practically the world mourned his death. The entrance to the Australia Zoo overflowed with flowers and gifts and notes and news outlets made special uh, special pieces about him and almost 5,000 people attended his funeral. It's estimated that 300 million watched the worldwide broadcast of it and amidst a slew of these media tributes, one man stepped forward to tell a touching story about how Steve had actually saved his own saved his life during a diving accident. He was quoted as saying, "We'd love to go to Australia and tell his wife and his kids what a great man he is. He was a hell of an educator from kids all the way up to old farts like me. <laughs> he was a hero." That's uh, I mean, if you think about it, anyone who championed with such exuberance just the fact that these animals are doing what they do they uh they need to be rescued and there needs to be conservation and all of that kind of stuff that would have been enough but for him to be this kind of like bright television vision personality yeah. and to make so many millions of people think about these kind of things it's it's world changing and you know i think that he is a perfect example of when you talk about like being excited about something because the person telling you about it is excited mm -hmm. you know it's like it it is one of those things of like making people fall in love with uh, like with a subject matter with material because you love it so much. Yeah. I think that's so rare, right? For it to be like uh, the word I can't stop using to describe him is sincere, right? Right. Where he's not in it to make a buck and like he's not trying to con anybody into anything. He's just excited to tell you about it. He just is, is, was happy that he could talk about it with you. And I think that that's so. Uh, like that's so enticing. That's so incredible, you know. And it's really awesome the work that they that he and his wife did at their wildlife park to make it, um, s to help learn about these animals. They would go through and tag their crocodiles, and according to the Smithsonian, uh, the project, which is still in operation, tells scientists now how deep crocodiles can 
can dive, how far their habitats reach, and even more like complicated psychological information like social hierarchies and breeding schedules. And these are things that we just weren't able to observe before because we didn't have the the data to yeah. see it. Um, they launched another program called Crocs in Space, <laughs> oh? where they were able to use tagged crocodiles. They were able to track them using satellites, which gave them even more useful data. Like the just it the the reach and the I don't want to say just that, like the social implications, but the scientific implications of what Steve Irwin did and his foundation and his family continues to do are enormous. Yeah, incredible. Um, there are talks now of his family doing another show, um, and especially I believe um, Bindi, his daughter is often in the news touting the same things that her her dad talked about conservation and you know habitat uh rehabilitation and animal rehabilitation and release and breeding programs and all that stuff sorry <laughs> <laughs> that's all right um so much so that uh November 15th is International Steve Irwin Day <gasps> Um, And it is celebrated like crazy at the zoo that they have, the Australia Zoo. Uh, Celebrations, talks on wilderness protection, and everyone who comes in is encouraged to wear Steve's trademark khakis. Nice. Uh, Funny thing that Alex, so, so cute, put in here. November 15th isn't his birthday. His birthday is February 22nd. But he chose, not he the Irwins, chose November 15th because it's the birthday of the Australia Zoo's most famous resident, a Galapagos turtle named Harriet, who Steve had a particularly special bond with. Aw. So that is Steve Irwin Day. That's lovely. Yeah. Um, over 700,000 people a year uh, go to the Australia Zoo, which hosts tours and shows and a, a variety of ways to help keep Steve's legacy alive. Um, and their website says, our vision is for Australia Zoo to be the ultimate global zoological destination, and in doing so, act as world leaders in conservation relating both to wildlife and their habitat. I think that's amazing. I think that's great. I think that he was an inspiration, uh, and I'm glad we did this episode. There, I said it. We did it. Here are some hot tips. Hot tips. That you can use in your life to be just like Steve Irwin. That's pretty good. Did I do it? Yeah. Is that better? Okay. Always keep your cool. Even if you're being bitten by a snake, don't jump in terror. The calmer you are, the less affected you'll be. That makes absolute sense about how he lived his life. Uh, Use all of your senses. When you're with an animal, appreciate the way it moves, smells, and feels. Also be comfortable with the fact that you might get pooped on. Yes. (laughs) Uh, put your that's education. That's true with babies too. Yeah, that's true. Put your education first. If you have an animal you really love, do it justice by learning everything about it that you can. In the same vein, your passion will make other people passionate. So don't hide the things you love under a bushel basket. A hundred percent. Um, coexist. This was one of the big things. Steve Irwin had the belief that humans deserve to be here just as much as animals do, and the idea. 
that humans and animals can coexist and share the planet, what uh, really makes his legacy continue. And the last one, I think, is self-explanatory. He said it all the time. Don't try this at home. <laughs> Leave the wildlife where it is. Appreciate from afar. Don't be like Steve Irwin, but be, be like, like Steve, Steve Irwin. Irwin. Okay, that's going to do it for us. Thank you all so much for joining us. Uh, this has been, I think, another wonderful episode. Thank you, Teresa, for Thank all your you, hard work. Thank you, Alex, yes. also, for all of your hard work. She is just, she's completely instrumental in the creation of this program at this time. Um, and she always finds really great facts and statistics and quotes. And thank you so much. And thank you to Maximum Fun, our podcast host, our network host. Yeah, you get it. Yeah. Uh, thank you to, uh, let's see, everyone listening. Thank you for telling friends, uh, sharing episodes you like, all of that stuff. It means the world to us. I, I had a lot of fun with this episode, uh, just hearing the facts and goofing with my wife. So if you enjoy <laughs> It, please share it. Please tell someone. Say, hey, I think you'd be interested in this episode. Who else, yeah. What else do we say? We always thank Brent, Brentlefloss Black, for writing our theme music, which is available as a ringtone where those are sold. Also, thank you to Kayla M. Wassel for our Twitter thumbnail art. Twitter is where we get our listeners submitted questions when we call for those. Uh, at Schmanner's Cast. So if we put out the feelers for a new episode, go ahead and check that out so that uh, maybe your question will be featured on the show. Thank you to Bruja Betty Pinup Photography for our cover picture of the Fan Run Facebook group, which is a really great place to give and get excellent advice. That is Schmanner's Fanners. Very proud of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, and make sure you check out Family for all the other McRoy shows. Uh, and I think that's going to do it for us. Oh, if you want to submit uh, a topic, I was almost done. I almost like three I'm weeks done. in a row. I blew that. Okay. If you want to submit a topic for our for a show, please email us at schmannerscast at google dot com. At gmail. Oh, you're right. Yeah, don't email us. Not at Google. Gmail. We don't. That's not nothing. But yeah, with our powers combined, we got we that got out. there. Okay. That's going to do it for us. Uh, join us again next week. No RSVP required. You've been listening to Schmanners. Manners, Schmanners. Get it. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.